0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 434 of the podcast. It's January 5th, 2022. I want to say Happy New Year. Um, hope your year is off to a good start. Uh, I want to thank, uh, again, our friends at Styles Associates for continuing to be our presenting sponsor, um, and they're going to be doing so through 2022. Uh, please do check out their website, leanexecs.com. Um, today, we're going to have a conversation with Ben Bensow. You'll learn more about him. He's a professor at the INSEAD Business School. Um, he uh, has a, kind of an interesting history with Jim Womack and back to the original research team that coined the term lean. So we'll jog his memories about that a little bit. We're going to talk about um, his career and work and his most recent book called Built to Innovate and you'll hear about the connections between lean practice and um, you know, sort of the gray area then that drifts from continuous improvement into innovation. I think you'll really enjoy hearing uh, what he has to say. So for links and show notes and more, you can go to leanblog.org/434. Thanks for listening. Our guest today, is Ben Benso. He is uh, an inside professor. He's the author of a book, Built to Innovate, Essential Practices to Wire Innovation into Your Company's DNA. So before I tell you a little bit more about Ben, let me first uh, say welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: And I, I, I do my best to speak Japanese. I should probably say konnichiwa or.
1: Ohio Gozaimasu. Nichiwa, absolutely. Ohio Gozaimasu. Yes, it's the morning for me. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> you're you're in uh, Kobe, Japan? Is that? That's absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. 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 Um, so on sabbatical, and, and we're going to talk about uh, Ben's earlier uh, time and, and learning in Japan. Um, but uh, as far as Ben's formal education, he earned his PhD at the MIT Sloan School of Management. Um, he was part of Jim Womack's research team that studied the auto industry back then and was uh, part of that group coined the term lean or or lean production. So um, we we previously did an episode on um, the My Favorite Mistake podcast, and uh, I thought it would be good to have Ben here to talk about um, not just innovation, but some of his recollections of those days um, working with uh, Jim Womack, who's been a guest here a number of times. So, so Ben, maybe, you know, if you don't mind, we can start there. If you can tell us about you know, how you got involved in those research
1: efforts and, and your recollections of that. Oh, that was a very, uh, very natural, uh, I mean, I guess transition for me because when I joined MIT, I joined MIT from Japan. Uh, so, I mean, without going into the, the, the long history, I was initially uh, trained in France. I mean, I'm, I'm from France. So I was trained in France as, as an engineer, uh, civil and mechanical engineer, and then I went to Japan uh, on a scholarship, Rotary International scholarship, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, and and then I I studied. Uh, I was there supposed to be there for two years, so I studied the language, and then I. I shifted to study management now this was these were the heydays of, of 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 Japan and Japanese economy and everybody was telling me you should spend your time trying to understand the Japanese management model so I switched to to um, to management and studied management science operations research in Japan uh, and this is how I got involved uh, even before going to MIT with uh, Japanese manufacturing yeah and then and then of course when i joined a- 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 mit it was right there i mean there was there was a very sophisticated uh, brilliant team of people looking at um, at uh, japanese firms i had spent uh, by then 5 years in japan uh, actually was even married in japan and and uh, spoke the language had connections so that was like uh, a no brainer i was very very uh, exciting actually to be able to continue that kind of work uh, while doing my phd so i imagine um i mean how how large
0: was that team were you the only person who had had come directly out of this experience working in japan
1: no 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 there were quite a few people who were oh. from japan actually there were even uh, japanese uh, oh. uh i mean uh, people there was a there was a, a um, Kentaro Nobeoka, not to name him from, he used to work for Mazda. There was Nishiguchi who came from, uh, from also from Japan via the UK. So there was a, uh, there was a very good mix. It was a, it was a very strong team and it actually, it span, it span uh, multiple kind of departments within, within, within uh, MIT. It was not only, I mean, we were a few people from the manufacturing and from the, the management school, but there were some people from uh, manufacturing, I mean, from engineering as well. So no, 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 there was a very, even some people from political science. So there's a, a very kind of multidisciplinary team of people looking in the beginning at the uh, Japanese firms in general, Japanese management and then focusing on the o- automotive industry in particular. Yeah.
0: And you know a lot of this research was included and summarized and in- Expanded upon in the the book, the machine that changed the world. Um, I might point listeners back um, to episode nineteen that I did with Jim Womack, uh, well over a decade ago. Sort of looking back at um, the machine that that changed the world. Um, but what, from your memory, Ben, how was the the research framed? Was there like what was there a hypothesis going into it? Was it an open ended question of comparing? Japanese automakers to American automakers to European automakers, or you know, how how was, what, what what questions were really being investigated at, at the beginning?
1: Well, I think I mean again the the the, the recollection I have of it, it was a it was a very multidisciplinary team, uh, not not only in terms of the uh, the theoretical kind of interest that people uh, had, but also in terms of a mixture of academics, practitioners. Uh, uh, and and of course uh, students. So you you you, you had a, a general theme, which was really the interest in in in, in moving forward knowledge about uh, uh, I mean manufacturing, in particular automotive. I mean that was kind of the the, the key the key industry. Even though some people kind of had interest also in aerospace and other other industries. So that was really kind of the, the, the center. And then it kind of uh, brought in people with different backgrounds. So you had people from the industry, you had people from uh, academia. So some people were doing quite inductive work, really uh, uh, going visiting uh, companies. And then of course the big pressure, like any university uh, and MIT for sure, uh, the people who were on the academic track uh, had 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 a very strong pressure to link this to some theoretical thinking and 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 engage in very scientific type of research and that's that's that that's I think in my mind the secret of the of the success of that uh, initiative was that you really had um, an, a practical interest driven by people from the industry and of course you know sponsors you had sponsors who were also kind of uh, chipping in. Opening the doors to uh, to their sites, but also uh, informing the the questions that people were asking. But you had some uh, very strong academics interested in, in 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 moving the knowledge to the next stage, who were there to make sure that the research had a a very strong rigor. I think that was that was really the secret of. Um, of the 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 whole uh, uh initiative and and why it, it had such an impact i mean it uh-huh. was really grounded uh in 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 some theory i mean you had some economists social psychologists you had uh, of course operations scientists uh, people involved in in manufacturing people involved in hr so it was uh you know industrial relations um, it was it was really exciting i think yeah yeah So coming from from your experience, coming into
0: that initiative, having spent time um, in Japan, back then, how would you have described the Japanese management model? And was it really that consistent across Japanese companies?
1: Oh, yes. I think it was uh, very consistent. And um, we might might get into that uh, maybe later. Uh, uh, I think the core of it uh, is still there. Mm-hmm. Is still there, and it, it it has very deep roots. Uh, I mean, in the, in the in the in the history, in the culture, uh, in the um, you know in, endowment, natural endowment of the of the country. I mean, it it, it is not just a um, uh, you know uh, a random occurrence. I mean, it is really the result of how Japan. I mean, what is Japan and how Japanese society has evolved over time? So, uh, it, I mean, I think the key, the key here is really this, uh, this, this notion that they are obsessed with the notion that they have uh, very few resources. Uh-huh. Uh, they are uh, in an environment, uh, which is uh, very uncertain, unpredictable. With, um, I mean, unfortunately, uh, a lot of um, natural calamities. I mean, we we know about the the, the the typhoons, the earthquakes. I mean, we just had an earthquake a couple of days ago here. Uh, so I think it creates a, a, a psychology and a culture where there's a very strong symbiosis with nature, and 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 you know, being aware that you. Um, you have to take care of those resources, and, and and they're kind of limited. So there's, I think it it, ex- it explains uh, uh, very much about um, you know the notion that uh, they're careful about ways, they're careful about uh, about time, they're careful about. I mean, the biggest resource they're careful about is human uh, human uh, uh, capital, mm-hmm. uh, and that 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 I think in a sense feeds very nicely in uh, in what emerged in Japan. Um, I mean, it's 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 really uh, an outgrowth of, of, of what Japan is. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a surprise to many people who uh, have experienced Japan from inside that um, a lot of these ideas, which some were developed elsewhere, mm-hmm. uh, actually crystallized and were moved even beyond in Japan and not somewhere else. So it
0: seems like one of the challenges in adopting methods from Toyota or other Japanese country uh, companies is when we're in a, a country that, that doesn't share those same mindsets. Um, you know, the United States auto industry was born out of a time of abundance. Um, but, you know, and think of, you know, today, you know, the end of 2021, when you talk about this idea of making um, the most of, of human potential, Right. I don't know how it is in, in Europe or Japan, but in the US, there's so much talk about um, labor shortages, a war for talent, the great resignation, however that's framed. I mean, it seems like th- there's this this motivation now of um, not having enough uh, human resources for, for our companies. Do, do, is,
1: is there a similar dynamic, do you think, in Europe or Japan right now? Absolutely. I think there's yeah. a very similar and, and, and in Japan, it, it actually started a, 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 while, a while ago and took a little bit of a different, uh, different form in the sense that uh, you, you had a, a whole generation uh, who, during the reconstruction of Japan, kind of sacrificed itself to create really the, 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 the manufacturing, the economic power of Japan, and the newer generation, which was born during the, the high growth and the bubble times, uh, didn't have the same motivation of, uh, working for life, for instance, which was kind of one of the pillars of, of the, the Japanese management system. So I think there was a lot of questioning uh, of that. And I think there's, there's some sort of a, a, a convergence. I don't want to necessarily relate it to the, 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 the climate movement, but there was a, there's a kind of a general, uh, you know uh, movement towards uh you know uh being uh, uh mindful of the resources whether they are they are human or natural or, or or productive so um and i think there's a there's 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 a context that is becoming kind of general to everybody and and uh, i think japanese uh companies and japanese society might have faced that naturally a bit earlier than the others and, and 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 discovered that uh i mean again taking into account that this is an island country with very few resources um and the context that i mentioned earlier they they realized that cooperation and and relying on on processes uh, was 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 the way the way forward and and that that that's how they evolved all we know uh and it became visible uh, because of the success of the the manufacturing sector, whether this is the automotive or the others, uh, but but it, it finds its roots much deeper into Japanese society and every 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 aspect of Japanese society, um, and 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 not 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 always with with uh, glorious impacts. I mean, sometimes there's a dark side to it, but uh, but uh, yes, I mean, um, I think a lot of people are. Uh, pushed into a context where it's getting closer and closer to what Japan knew for a long time. I mean, the mm-hmm. scarcity of resources and and the and unpredictability of the environment. And so, a lot of that you know, uh,
0: unpredictability is a global um, situation these days, for sure. Um, but you know, hopefully, there's there's more motivation, whether it's manufacturing companies or healthcare organizations. To help maximize people's potential. Um, and mean, right. you know, there's there's productivity benefits to that, quality benefits. But you know, look at, you know, especially in healthcare, um, you know, there's so much waste and frustration even before the pandemic. And there's a, right. a an, an additional layer of exhaustion and fatigue and burnout. Um, you know, to, to to me, lean strategies are one way of, of helping counter that, of, of creating a better workplace um, that, that makes people less likely to quit or retire. Yeah, I think there's a big role right. for that, regardless of country. Wait, wait, what are your thoughts?
1: yeah absolutely and i think that uh, coming back to, to 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 japan and 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 and, and why it kind of it developed or or fine tuned the lead, lean approach is really this 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 notion that given their their natural endowment they had to really uh, invest in a few things that uh, they could they could kind of refine one one definitely is is people and the collaboration in people so a lot of investment in in people in training, in the uh, the work of life quality, uh, a, a lot of investment in um, in processes, in processes, uh, and in particular in collaborative uh, uh, processes, and in technology. I mean, technology is something that they've uh, they've been investing in uh, all along. Uh, and and you can see that a lot of the the technological investment uh, that you see now in japan is very much uh, there to support uh uh human capital uh, because because of the scarcity of people not only of people because of the aging of the population but also of talent mm-hmm. the fact that people are interested in different things now uh so there's a there's a clear investment in in uh, in the in the people yeah mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Toyota literature for a long time, um, you know, through the Toyota Way and Jeffrey Liker and and others has emphasized, yeah, technology as supporting people and process as opposed to you know the old um, General Motors mindset and maybe the rest of the Big Three was really focused on replacing people because people were seen as a problem instead of um, as. Um, being partners and um, uh, you know, so there, there's a different mindset. Tesla today seems to be Elon Musk seems to be very focused on automating. Um, it seems people out of the way instead of uh, supportive right, technology. Right, so right, there are right, still right. You, know, uh, you know different mindsets and business strategies around
1: how do we incorporate technology clearly i mean there's there's a, again there's a, a tradition which we can go back and link to the emergence of uh, of, of lean and a japanese management system in itself and and i was kind of already alluding to the fact that in spite of all the pressures they're getting there's not that much being transformed in japan in terms of the fundamentals uh, clearly there's a sense that technology is there to support Uh, uh, you know, people, Uh, a a lot of the, the uh, automation, or um, even today, a a lot of the uh, digitalization is there really meant to be there to, to support people. Um, um, There's a very strong sense also, uh, we haven't talked about it, uh, and comes out of the whole structure of the japanese economy is this obsession with the customer as well uh and and um, and and the service to the customer and this is something that uh, uh, that pervades life uh, in, in japan uh, wherever you go so i think this is this is also another pillar of uh, of um, how japan is thinking uh about this this evolution if you will um so before you know talking more about
0: innovation and the connections to lean and and, and, in your book and all, I do have one other question thinking back to your time working with um, I'll call it the Womack Jones and Ruse research group, um, not to ignore, uh, not to ignore them. Um, But coming out of that work, um, I mean, is, is there a, you know, a concept or a takeaway from that research or the book that wasn't widely understood like something that you wish business leaders or students would have taken away from that research that, that people might have missed
1: it's not necessarily something that people might have missed uh, but, but uh, and again maybe it's a it's an unfair comment I'm gonna make but but um, um, I mean. By the way, the 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 research program is still continuing, so it's not like uh, this is this is this is still a moving target. I mean, people are still That's doing sure. research, and 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 you know, and 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 Toyota and the others are still kind of uh, you know innovating, moving. I mean, maybe at, at at a at a much more strategic level, there's some interesting conversations to be to be looked at. But I, what I think, and it's I, I don't know how it would have been uh, easy to capture this, but I think that. Um, what I see very often, people when they look at this kind of work, they they they, they look at the the the, the solution. Uh, what is uh, w- what can I do tomorrow differently? And 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 uh, and by the way, a lot of uh, companies, I mean in Europe and you know in the US, have embraced a lot of. Um, what was um, you know discovered uh, during that research, but I think what is really difficult is to understand that it's um, it's a mindset. Hmm. Um, it's it's something much more much more deeper. It's not just a question of a few tools and techniques and a few gimmicks that you can apply superficially here and there. I, again, I understand that um, there are some cultural underpinnings to all this, but it doesn't mean that they're not like some, some equivalents um, uh, in, in, in our cultures. I mean, I can I can take the example that uh, I worked on. I mean, within that group, I was uh, just, it was, was a lady called Susan Helper and actually Toshini Kishiguchi. We kind of looked uh, more precisely to supplier relationships, buyer supplier relationships in the automotive industry. And one thing that came out, quite strong looking at japanese firms is the importance especially with the first tier suppliers the importance of building trust now when you think about a concept like trust as you say oh okay now this is uh, the way the japanese do it i mean you know it's 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 deeply culturally bound uh, but that doesn't mean there's not a structural equivalence to trust in let's say in the u.s market maybe there are some legal underpinnings to it but but you may build trust differently, but it doesn't take away the importance of trust in relationships and how you build it. So I think that's where I think um, and maybe the, the research will continue in that is, is to try to go to the to the um to the core essence of, of 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 the lean model and understand what is the state of mind and actually try to 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 work on the embedding the state of mind rather than focusing on the I don't want to call them gimmicks because they're not they are very important techniques and tools but but what is underneath those tools I think is also important to embed in the in 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 the collective consciousness of people.
0: Oh thanks for that and it makes me wonder is there a similarity when it comes to innovation? If we look at companies that are successful innovators, how much of that is a matter of mindset? Versus tools, techniques, or gimmicks Absol- that people absolutely. might try Absolutely,
1: I, I would, I would totally agree with your assessment. I think that uh, that uh, I think in terms of the mindset. I mean, it sounds really tried, but I think that if you can internalize uh, the, the notion that um, uh, everybody's job—I mean, innovation is everybody's job. I mean, it sounds very, very primitive mm-hmm. statement, but I think it's a, again, if it's people ent- internalize it as a, as a, as a mindset. Number one is uh, innovation is everyone's job. And second, uh, innovation can happen anywhere in the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've been, I've been kind of working uh, with companies for about 20 years now, training and coaching. Uh, different organization helping them develop a culture of innovation. And what I I find still is that there's this uh, again mindset. This uh, uh, I don't want to call it a culture, but this feeling that um, innovation. When we talk about innovation, it's about a, a, a brand new blockbuster product, or or it's about coming up with a, a new business model. Um, I also find many people who who think that um, you need a, a genius leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or you need to be a startup to innovate. And again, what I found, and it's not just uh, Japanese companies, but I found uh, that established, even uh, century-old companies can innovate. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they do this? Again, they don't focus only on huge industry-changing effects, but just like in the spirit of Lean, mm-hmm. uh, they can find you know small and important uh, changes very often in unexpected places. And what they do, and this is kind of the link with Lean as well, is that they rely on continuous innovation. Innovation of every kind and uh, driven by everyone in the organization. And this is where I really thought that uh, what I had seen in uh, these innovative companies that I followed around the world uh, is that this was somewhat of an extension uh, what we were talking about, about lean, this this uh, this uh, obsession with the collective uh, capability, the obsession with, it's almost like after, after cost control, you do quality, then you move to lean, and then the next step is really, again, driven by the customer obsession going to innovation, because innovation mm-hmm. is simply, again, being obsessed with a customer, but with the mindset of looking for new ideas, not simply improving existing processes. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about innovation
0: is everybody's job, that's an extension of, you know, this idea that continuous improvement is everybody's okay. job. If, you know, I always add the if, if there's a culture that makes that possible, because if somebody listening to this were to say, well, okay, in theory, Continuous improvement or innovation can happen everywhere. I don't see it because I'm just told to show up and keep my mouth shut and do my job and do it the way I was taught. And they never ask me what I think. Well, not, that, that doesn't describe a culture of improvement or a culture of innovation.
1: Again, this is very powerful what you're saying, Mark. Because I think this was also a little bit of what happened in the beginning—the hiccups, people, when people tried to implement Japanese uh, management approach. I mean, they, they 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 took the outer layer, I call it, the outer layer mm-hmm. of the onion, which was the artifacts, the techniques, the tricks, if you want to call them, you know, uh, of 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 the Japanese management system. But did not realize that it was. The fundamental was a trust in people. Uh, the fundamental was was um, um, you know uh, relying on on, on on people. That was really uh, the foundation was a participatory type of uh, engagement with people, uh, and I think here the same thing. When 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 I mean uh, uh, innovation being everybody's job. Well, the, the 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 key thing is that it has. I mean, senior management and middle management has to give people permission to innovate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just can't just say to people, "Okay, I want you to innovate," but. You're not supposed to. So you have to create, as you say, a a culture, an environment where people feel that they they have the permission to innovate. In fact, I I would say that people need three things to be able to innovate. One is they need to feel that they are able to do it, which is that they are allowed, that they have permission. It is not only the job of the senior leaders or the R&D department, but anybody is recognized, and it's almost uh, encouraged and expected to to innovate. And it can be within the, the sphere of their own job. Second, people need to feel that they are capable. I mean, so how many times I hear people when we start a program on innovation, people tell me, "Oh, I'm not a creative type. I don't, I don't, mm. I don't know how to do it." This is, we have people who specialize in this. So my job, as you said, you know, is to come, show up, and do what I've, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to do. And this is what uh, what I call the execution uh, engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people need to be uh, uh, need to be trained. They need to be given the tools. They need to be given time and 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 space to innovate. And it again, I can give example. It doesn't take a lot for people to start a habit of getting involved in any kind of uh innovating activity. And it can be simply spending time with a customer observing mm-hmm. what's going on, yeah. you know, with a different mindset. And then thirdly, people need to to be to feel motivated to innovate. So uh this is where Middle management is, is 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 very key in in giving them. Uh, I mean, first senior people to inspire them about innovation, then uh, people giving them autonomy, challenges, recognizing them when they come up with new ideas. Uh, again, it's one thing to say, "Oh, innovation is everybody's job." Nobody's going to argue with that one, but it is important to create an atmosphere, uh, a culture, and. By the way, this is what Build to Innovate, the book is about. It's about how do you embed this um, notion of continuous innovation uh, using a very systematic approach? Again, one mm-hmm. thing I learned from Lean is about processes, tools, and making things systematic and repeatable.
0: Um, so, so to that point about systematic and, and repeatable, can innovation in a company be made systematic and repeatable? Is there a process for innovation as opposed to just sort of like the, the magical light bulb going off, epiphany, innovation? Right.
1: Again, you, 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 you remember how, uh, my, my, my opening by saying that uh, in a lot of companies, people think that innovation is about the genius moment, is about yes. the epiphany, is about. And, it, it, and by the way, it's usually associated with the, the genius founder. Uh, and this is why by the way i mean it's um uh, it's a small distinction i make and i explain to people uh, i make a distinction between the word innovation as a noun and the verb innovating or to mm-hmm. innovate as a verb and, and 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 it came to me just kind of observing the, the the attitude of people and the feeling of people when i when i when i talk about innovation and i noticed that every time i use the word innovation i find that it's quite intimidating hmm. people are there's a sense of anxiety and fear when you talk about innovation and i was wondering what's going on why are people so afraid of innovation why is it so intimidating and i one hypothesis is that very often, people associate the the, the, the word innovation, the, the, the noun, with a product or a service, uh, but, but very often was an outcome, an outcome that they think they're expected to deliver. So if they go to an innovation training, they have this kind of uh, uh, feeling that when they come back, they're expected to deliver uh, the next product, or the, but, but, but I noticed that if I use... I mean, it also happened by chance, but when you use innovating or you say, oh, we are here to learn how to innovate. There's a big difference saying we're going to learn innovation and we're going to learn how to innovate. And when you say we're going to learn how to innovate, people immediately resist that this is about a process. Right, it's a verb. It's about to innovate. It's about actions. It's about activities. It's about behaviors. And notice that when you talk about action activities, this is something that you can learn. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, behavior, you can have incentives. You can you can encourage people, and and suddenly it makes a big difference. So I think uh, 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 how do you create a culture uh, of of innovation if you want uh, is is by building. Uh, this this habit where people get involved in activities. I mean, it, just if uh-huh. you allow me, Mark, that there's uh-huh. a, there's a non- an analogy which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work. But I yeah. I use the analogy of the, um, the the iceberg, and when people talk about the innovation, as a matter of fact, what is meant by that is the tip of the iceberg, which is. Uh-huh you know the iphone which is the the atm machine this is a new business model this is this is an outcome this is a result so this is a tip of the iceberg but what we don't see below the iceberg is effectively innovating is the innovating capabilities and 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 this is this is what build to innovate is about is about how do you build through processes mm-hmm. through a systematic approach how do you build the collective innovating capabilities of everybody in the organization? And then through, just like Lean, through this repeated process where people come up with ideas. So people tell me, oh, well, but this is, this is about continuous innovation. Well, you know, this is about small improvement. Well, again, my, 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 my only reaction is that when do you know that a new idea is going to be a small improvement or a disruptive new idea. We don't yeah. know until it is implemented. So for me, this is why the power of continuous innovation, and by the way, to be sure, not taking anything away from the, uh, the genius leaders uh, thinking. The problem is that there's a problem of, uh, of numbers we don't have as many geniuses out there yeah. <laughs> as we wish. So what I'm saying is that you know if you work in an organization, and on top of it, if you if you if you don't have a genius in the company, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. So you have to build an innovating engine, in spite of the fact that you don't have a genius in the company. And that's really what uh, what, what uh, build to innovate is about. Of course, I'm telling people if you have Genius leader, if you have uh, uh, brilliant R&D people, please, 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 you know, uh, worship them. I don't know, but take care of them. But there's a huge lost opportunity of innovation gains by leveraging the capability of everybody. And by the way, again, if you make the little switch in mind that innovation is not only about the product, but you have innovation on the shop floor. You have innovation in HR. You have innovation in legal. You have innovation mm-hmm. of every sort in the organization. So, uh, when you talk then about that innovation
0: engine, I know one thing you talk about in the book is the role of middle managers, not so just the genius leader or the CEO or the. You know, what 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 is that role of
1: the middle manager? I think the the the, the well, just to kind of. Uh, Put it into context, um, uh, I I found that to build an innovating engine, which in my mind is a very concrete uh, uh, organization, it's a a protected space, uh, uh, fully legitimized within the organization, where, as I mentioned before, you can innovate, anybody can innovate. Uh, You can innovate in everything you do. Uh, and innovating is, is, is a is a habit. You need a very formal structure. And there, what I discovered is that everybody has a contribution to make. Uh, senior leaders are important. Middle managers, I discovered, are vital to innovation. Uh, innovation is lost without them. And they are very often overlooked. And then, of course, the frontline are the ones who are going to generate a lot of the ideas because they are the ones who are uh, on a daily basis, working with customers and and non-customers, so middle managers are very very important uh, because they are the ones who need to number one uh, give the permission. Of course, senior leaders are the ones who have to give first the permission, but they are the ones who mm-hmm. who give the permission to their teams to innovate. They are the ones who can uh, create the the time and space for people to to do it. Um, they are the ones who can send their teams to. Um, to training, not, not that the middle managers would be the ones who would train their people, but I, I actually, I, I will, I will uh, maybe talk about a, a, an example of mm-hmm. how this was done in a, in a, in a company that I followed. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and of course, they are the ones who uh, have to winnow and, and, and select and, uh, and channel the ideas that come from the front line through, you know, the, what we know, the stage gate process, until these ideas get um, selected, some get tested, uh, I mean piloted, and and some will go to the execution engine. Uh, again, maybe an ex- an example, and you can you can ask me from the example. I mean, uh, one one example I mentioned in the book is uh, is uh, Bayer, mm-hmm. the um, the the global pharmacology and life sciences company based in Germany. So. Mind you, this is a company, as I'm sure most people will know, with a with a, with a long history of scientific achievements and 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 brilliance in R and D. And yet, in 2014, they decided to uh, from scratch. They decided to build an innovating engine and uh, to enlist and uh, leverage the capabilities of the 100,000 employees working in the company. So the first thing they did is they made the whole board responsible for innovation. Then they selected 80 senior managers from across all country regions and, and global functions to support the board Uh, as um, they call them uh, innovation ambassadors. Hmm. Now, these ambassadors spend most of their time with middle managers, explaining innovation, uh, getting them trained, uh, supporting, sponsoring innovation. And a key to their success is that they built for this, to support these middle managers, They created a formidable support structure. They, um, I think it was between 2016 and 2020, they trained and certified a thousand innovation coaches, Ah. which were um, activated locally across the whole organization. Mm -hmm. So now you can see that a middle manager who believes in innovation. Uh, uh, doesn't have to doesn't have the resources to train people and to to follow projects but they have this formidable central resource where they can just call on local coach to come and train and support an individual in their team or you know a, a project in their team and 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 they just have to make sure that people have the permission and they have the the political protection to be able to follow the ideas. So this is where the the middle managers are very important. And then just to finish the story about Bayer, what they did for the the frontline people, they created a space where everybody could get involved. So they created uh, what they call WeSolve. It is a digital platform where any employee within Bayer uh, can post information about a problem they're struggling with and invite ideas and insights from anybody else in the, across the company. And this has been a, a tremendous success. I mean, mm-hmm. At any given time, I think they have about 200 challenges posted on the, on the platform. I mean, it can yeah. be as simple as a frontline worker in Spain Looking for ideas about how to help farmers, uh, uh, you know, regulate their pesticide in, in, in input or, uh, uh, Indian manager looking for, uh, ideas for brand name for a new product. Mm -hmm. 40,000 people. Uh, have participated in this in this platform and and 40, actually 40, just 000. to give yes, right. 40000 now i should tell you they told me that only 50000 people within the the whole company speak english and the the mm-hmm. the, the, the website is in english so this is yeah. a huge uh, participation rate but yeah. what really impressed me the most looking at the statistics is that out of the so challenges are sent and then people submit uh, ideas and out of the best ideas Two-thirds of the best ideas come from a department or a function different from the one oh. where the initial challenge was sent. Interesting. So this is very interesting, and it kind of, again, shows how they're leveraging the innovating capabilities from across the whole company. So, yeah. so for me, this was this is a very good example of how they systematically, starting in 2014, systematically built an innovating engine where everybody is involved and where you can see the middle managers are really the key because uh, mm-hmm. uh, they are the ones who are, you know, uh, you know, winnowing all the ideas. They are giving the permission. Now they have a support structure. That's very important. And this is another very important component of an innovating engine in my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So it speaks, what, what you're saying there, uh, speaks to the power of cross-functional collaboration, breaking down silos. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as uh, we're, we're a little short on time, but maybe one other um, question for you. You know, uh, if, if people think, I think sometimes this is a misunderstanding about lean, especially when we talk about standardization or standard work, sometimes people propose the idea that lean stifles innovation what what's your response to that I'm, I'm guessing you would disagree with
1: that statement, but I'll ask I, you to elaborate i i, I, I guess I guess uh, what um, uh, what I like uh, in in a sense in in, in lean and uh, and what brought lean and and again the extension um that I'm proposing with was, was built to innovate is the power of process uh-huh. I mean, having a process, even if it's standard process does not necessarily stifle uh, uh, innovation. it just it just kind of first legitimizes, whatever you're doing so in this case if you if you if you give people tools and a process to innovate uh, it, 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 it's it's a way to legitimize innovation it provides people with with a, a language to talk about innovation and what they're doing and and a process is just um uh, uh, for me uh, the same way as tools i i equate them to a checklist it, it's just a checklist what you do inside the checklist can be you know, uh, open to 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 the context, open to what what is happening there, uh, and and I think this is this is lean is the same. It's really about having a, a, a structure, uh, um, uh, a set of checklists that you follow, uh, but you have to make decisions. Uh, at each step and that that, that requires uh, uh initiative that requires innovation uh creativity so for me uh, uh pe- 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 people equate the notion that because you have a uh, um, a process that guides, structures your thinking. I mean, a process is a way to structure the thinking. What comes out of the thinking can be very innovative, can be very revolutionary, but at least uh, it creates a, a structure that pick can follow people. The other thing also I would say is that of course, I'm not talking about the, 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 the people who are naturally innovative or very creative. Uh, even though I could argue, but I'm not a brain scientist, that they might follow a structure in their mind which they don't are not conscious about. Mm-hmm. But if you if you try to uh, train people uh, to become uh, innovative, you you might want to give them a few tools, a few structures to start with to build the muscle. And then once they they have uh, internalized some of the key structures, and these are very general structures, I mean, we're talking about looking at your customer, uh, listening to, you know, what I call the silence of the customer, looking at non-customers. And the process gives you structures about where to find them. Uh, uh, then, once you have mastered that, then it becomes second nature. And then you can free yourself from this structure. So for me it is just like anybody trying to learn a new skill whether this is learning piano or or going to the gym to strengthen your your physical muscles you need some equipment you need some structure to start with but once you have established a certain level of competency or fluency mm-hmm. or creativity then you don't need the tool anymore you can just mm-hmm. uh, you, you can free yourself but because you have internalized I loved a lot of the toolkit you have internalized the process. So I think it's the same for lean is mm-hmm. the same for, for innovation and the same for a lot of skills that you need to first uh, follow a structure. Like, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a musician, but I'm sure in the beginning, a lot of musicians hate to do the, uh, the scales, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. but, but, but once you have mastered uh, that, then you can free yourself of it. Yeah. Um, and um,
0: as you know, I I, I've, I play the drums, I'm a percussionist. Yeah. There's an old joke in music circles where I would say I'm not a musician; I'm a drummer, which is uh, <laughs> an unfair thing to say, but that, that's the joke. But yeah, when you learn to play drums, there are what what, what they call the rudiments, which rudiments, are the yes, of playing yes. scales. And I think when I was yes. a child learning these rudiments, I didn't understand the word, but now when you think, okay, rudiment, rudimentary, that's a foundation for getting to do all the cool stuff with the drums.
1: Absolutely. And this is actually, I like the way you you put it, because I think this is what I'm talking about and and, and what Build to Innovate is about in trying to embed continuous innovation is to actually trust people, trust Mm -hmm. their creativity and say, why don't we give them the rudiments? Why don't we teach them the scales and then give them permission to jam sometimes once in a while, and maybe something will come out of it. Maybe not, but it is the power of the numbers, yeah. right? Instead of having only innovation coming from the senior leaders and a few geniuses in the company, you leverage the capability of everyone. Now they ha- they, they, they're a bit better than without the training. They have rudiments. They know the scales. They have a language to speak about this. You create space for them. And by the way, they have the availability. They are the ones who are facing the customers and then the customers. They have the information. They have the data. Uh, and 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 then and then that that builds up so you have the you have the number if they do it as a habit you have the frequency and if you do it in every department you have also innovation coming from everywhere yeah and i think it's a it's it's a law of the big numbers you you, you okay. if you if you do this you're you everything else being equal you're more likely to get uh new ideas some big some small, then if you just rely on, on the genius leader, that's, that's, um, that's kind of the logic there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and the final thing I would add uh, in one of my visits to Japan, there was a uh, Japanese hospital CEO, a physician who knew lean he GE had tried teaching him six Sigma and he liked lean and TPS better, but that's, that's story for a different day, but Mm -hmm. his, his main insight, and this was really powerful. He said the best way to find a big idea is to look for many, many small ideas.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think
0: we, a lot of times we obsess on looking for just the big magical epiphany moment. And uh, I, I appreciate the way you emphasize process
1: and structure and, and culture as a way to be to be innovative. And also, I discovered that very often, I mean, uh, some of the big ideas are actually a conglomerate or a connection of a lot of small ideas. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no big idea that's alone. I mean, even at the implementation, the the idea can be big, but to implement it, you need a lot of small innovations in other parts of the organization and sometimes of your suppliers. I discovered Mm -hmm. that some of the big innovation wouldn't be possible without the innovation being also at the supplier level. Uh, well, Ben,
0: I have I have to run, but uh, I appreciate you being a guest and sharing, you know, some of your insights and your research and your your teaching with us today, and how that's culminated in the book available now. It was released in September. Built to innovate essential practices to wire innovation into your company's DNA. Uh, ben Bensau again has been our guest. Thank you. It's been a, a real pleasure to, to talk to you both times now on both podcasts. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Mark. It was a real pleasure. <laughs> and back to memories, actually, also. All right. Well, good.
0: Happy to those memories.
1: Arigato. Arigato. Good Arigato. <laughs> okay, night.